electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'd be able to make friends. I'm just trying to help make more money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, to teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at you, Kramer. We just witnessed the mother of all frauds, a financial disaster of incredible proportions. And it didn't even matter one whit to the stock market. Yes, the ongoing FTX crypto exchange train wreck has meant nothing to the averages. And I think we have to acknowledge the strength of the market in the face of the Sam Bankman-Fried scandal. Worst case, we get a daily today. Dow dips eight points. S&P sheds 0.31%. Nasdaq declines 0.35%. Meanwhile, the crypto economy has shrunk from $3 trillion a year ago to well below $1 trillion today. And at this pace, i got to tell you, I think it can go a lot lower. I think the owners of these tokens will be lucky if they only get half from here. The revelation that this industry is totally unregulated makes you feel like a local dope for owning anything that's connected to crypto. So the downside could still be enormous. Oh, yeah, I get decentralized, blockchain, superior, no central bank. We can stipulate that another monetary system may be a good one. But how about stipulating this? Cryptos filled with fraudsters are are in charge. And I think they're practicing Steve Miller capitalism. They're taking the money and running. But forget about crypto, because the whole point is that it's a rolling collapse under the massive weight of chicanery. And what matters is it's got hardly any impact on the ridiculously resilient stock market. When we see a scandal that rocks the finances of millions of investors, typically you expect people to plow plow money into cash after withdrawing it from what are known as risk assets, including stocks. Now, I can remember when stocks used to be the riskiest of all risk assets, but, but someone came up with this crypto. Man, that is really risky. Sometimes you have to put this asset class into context. Stocks are people's, part of people's portfolio. Basics. Basics. And when other parts of the portfolio vanish, like crypto, investors are supposed to pull in their horns. 
I keep waiting for that to happen, yet it still hasn't hit. I thought for sure that the averages would get crushed today when James Bullard, a very smart Fed official, talked about raising interest rates by another one to three full percentage points, talking about 7% now, seemed like the perfect moment for the market to process the fall from FTX. Sure enough, we started out down big as Bullard's comments terrified anyone who was hoping the Fed might ease up. With those losses, which at another time, say arbitrarily six months ago, might have sent the averages down four or even five percent when you combine them with what happened with FTX, it just didn't stick. We shrugged them off for a substantial portion of the day. And even when the market pulled back near the close, it was well above its lows earlier in the session. This was a down day that showed great strength. So how come this massive crypto con, sorry, I mean alleged con, hasn't been able to bring down the stock market first? It's entirely possible that the people who invested in this breathtaking crypto smackdown were just all small fry who simply don't have enough capital to impact the markets. Or maybe they're uh, larger institutional investors who didn't have much exposure. Maybe they treated it all like a big Powerball thing, you know, where you say, here's somebody, you get a lot of tickets and you throw it away. Uh, that might explain the lack of uh, bleed over into the regulated world. Although, to be blunt, there are a lot of small fries now in crypto who used to be big fries. Big E fries, like Wendy's. Second, it might mean there's so much money out there, even a $2 trillion paper loss doesn't rock the boat. There's something I like about this theory, namely that we haven't seen big withdrawals because of the crypto collapse. It hasn't hurt the purchasing power of those who lost money. They don't take money out of the stock market so they can live day to day. So they haven't pulled the money out uh, because they don't need the cash. They're still feeling flush. I know there are individuals who've lost fortunes here, but they may not be representative. We're coming off two years where the government has, was, was incredibly generous about doling out checks to the American people, uh, child tax credit, uh, not having to pay your rent. I mean, these things add up. Third and most important, though, nobody cares about crypto because we've already been in a bear market for a year. That's the average life expectancy of this. Why do people stop selling? Because eventually everybody who wants out has already dumped their stocks. I think that's the answer. It's the reason why this market's gotten, let's say, resilient. The sellers are exhausted. Their many shareholders, they may just be in for the long haul. That's why so much money's in index funds. People don't want to trade. They just want to own and own and own some more. The idea of selling at this level is probably, for the people who are left, is un-American at best and reprehensible at worst. Now that we've annualized the beginning of the bear market, back when the Fed declared war on inflation last November, Wall Street gets, they get used to the weakness, okay? As a matter of fact, I think we actually become numb to it, as long as we're not dealing with systemic risk, just cyclical risk. See, other than the financial crisis, we've only had cyclical risk. From 2007 to 2009, the selling could keep going because almost every major financial institution in this country was insolvent. It made sense to pull out your money back then. Your mattress was safer. But this is not that kind of financial crisis. I'm not denying that the market could go lower from here. I definitely can. I'm saying we've come through the bulk of this early season, and so far it's been, we had better start thinking about it. it. We haven't had that rough a go. Let's take the worst. Let's pick the worst group there is. Okay, the, the worst besides, besides crypto, uh, the, the software stocks. I read a brilliant piece this morning by a fellow named Sterling Audit Moffat Nathanson, who mused that the best performing stocks in the software universe were the ones that either maintain or lower their estimates 
his theory. He figures that in the end, investors step back and decide, you know what? The sulfur stocks have come down so much that they're effectively been de-risk. A lot of good companies, a lot of bottoming stocks. That matters. It matters because these are the most expensive stocks in the market, even after plummeting for a year. Stocks that are often valued at high multiples to sales, not earnings, because the underlying companies are perpetual money losers. Now, this is an aggressive view. I don't like any of those money-losing stocks, and I never recommend them. I think it only holds true if we're in a situation where the economy doesn't get much worse. See, if inflation stays persistent or goes higher, and I don't think that's happening, but it's a possibility, and the Fed takes interest rates to some extremely high level, we could still get a severe recession that causes massive unemployment, really hurt the stocks. In that scenario, these software stocks would have a lot more downside. But I think we're starting to see a normalization of the supply chain and a major reduction in raw costs. We're seeing a thaw in the big chip shortage, something that GM's Mary Barr told me earlier today. We're going to be interviewing her later in the show. We're getting layoffs in tech, an industry that's been at the heart of overspending in this country. And overspending is one major cause of inflation. We also have a clear slowdown in investment banking. Huge reversal in housing sales almost always leads to a big decline in home prices. Tech and homes, they are important. Remember, bad news is good news in the stock market. I think we're looking at a wave of obvious tech layoffs that are about to come in the hundreds of thousands. And when you throw in the weaker consumer price index and producer price index numbers we've gotten lately, it creates a situation where the Fed doesn't need to tighten as aggressively. Later on, the fact that the stocks of so many richly valued software stocks didn't get crushed this earnings earnings season, and that tells me the bear may be rapidly approaching the end of its life. Bottom line. Put all together, and you can see how this market could be so resilient, even when the so-called J.P. Morgan of crypto, Sam Bankman-Fried, has been exposed as a travesty of a mockery of a sham. That's pretty diplomatically. I'd call him the Jordan Belfort of crypto, but sadly, he seems to lack the charisma to carry a Scorsese movie. I'd say let's fictionalize him. But he seems about as fictional as they come. Dick in Virginia, Dick. Hi, Jim. I wanted to wish you and your staff and your family... Happy holidays. Oh, thank you, Dick. And same to you. Same to you. What's going on? Yes, I wanted to talk to you about Lilly. Um, It's been a bit volatile uh, lately, and um, I took advantage of that, that, of about a 20-point drop uh, when when that insulin uh, tweet uh, was was announced. And uh, it's got a PE of about 55. And I'm wondering, with the possible approval of that uh, uh, insulin uh, drug and Monjaro, whether or not that could have an impetus uh, for it to uh, go higher. Let's do this. Let's do this. I've spent a tremendous point of my time my life learning and a lot teaching. And the way I do it is through the club. And I spend a tremendous amount of time working on Eli Lilly today for my investing club. And I want you to go listen because it's got all the answers. I'm not trying to, to cut, cut this. I am saying that I spent five hours in Eli Lilly last night. And I would think the best way to get it is to show you what I had to say if you go look at, the cl- at what I did at the club meeting. Okay? Just putting it out there. Even the mother of all frauds didn't matter in this market. It all tells me that the bear may be near the end of its life. Oh, man, money tonight. GM held its investor day earlier than the New York Stock Exchange. I sat down with CEO Mary Barr to learn more about the company's EV lineup and major headlines out there. Then Exponential Fitness has become a post-IPO winner. But could strong gains remain in its future? I'm talking the company's top brands. And Palo Alto looks like it was a real good quarter. We're going to talk about it with the CEO. Stay with Craig. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Cramer on Twitter. Have a question? 
Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Earlier today, General Motors held an investor event here at the New York Stock Exchange, where they laid out some very encouraging plans for their electric vehicle business, talking about ramping production up to 1 million units per year in North America by 2025. Huge increase, and by the way, making money on each one. Now, before GM's chair and CEO, Mary Barr, hit the stage, she sat down with us to give you a preview. Take a look. Mary you have nothing short of incredibly stunning news today, including the fact that you'll be profitable, solidly profitable, in 2020, 2025. One million EVs? These are extraordinary goals. You're that confident. I am extremely confident because, you know, our first battery plant just started. We have two more coming online. We've got a great line of products, so we'll have the capacity to build a million units in 2025. And we believe at that point, in fact, our plan, and we will execute to achieve uh, low to mid-digit uh, uh, margins at that point in time. But I would tell you, with the benefits of IRA, we believe we'll be uh, on parity with ICE. So we really feel that this is our time. We've got the scale. We've done the localization. This is a culmination of what we've been working on for three plus years, and it's here and it's now. Right. No, I think you're. Uh, actual stock price is kind of ridiculous in light of the fact that today, today, this freak cash flow guidance you have raised dramatically. 
which to me changes the entire uh, entire construct of what we should think of GM. Exactly. Well, I think it shows the power of um, our franchise, our truck franchise, our mid-sized crossovers, the strength of our brands. And so, you know, we're able to up our free cash flow. And then, you know, also, um, I think we're going to demonstrate really strong EB, uh, EBIT performance as well. So I hope people step back and look to see how strong our business is. And we have new products coming next year in addition to all of the EVs that come online next year. So we are in execution and acceleration mode right now. Now, there's some news also about the way you're going to handle dealerships, which I think is brilliant, because a lot of people feel their liability. Here, it seems like it's the opposite. Well, we have been working with our dealers for the last few years because this is a once-in-a-century transformation we're making to a new um, you know, pr- way the vehicle is propelled, but we've been working with them, and we've been working to take cost out of the process. And so what that will uh, give back to General Motors is about $2,000 a vehicle on average, and that's General Motors' piece. But we're working with our dealers to make sure that we uh, can capitalize on what they do so well, uh, the sales process, and you know, and it's with our new dealer uh, retail platform, it's how the customer wants to do the business. Do they want to do completely online? Do they want to literally come in and kick the tires? Our dealers are going to be able to deal with them and have an ex- exceptional customer experience. And that continues into the servicing part of it as well. So we couldn't be more excited about the progress and the transformation we're making of the way we're going to interact with the customer with our dealers. Okay, so will the dealer be handling a very big issue, which is that you're, over, you're oversubscribed. It's going to be very difficult to get some of these models that, that we have right here. Uh, you know, in the initial um, period, it will be. I mean, especially with the Hummer, you know, we had to st- stop taking orders because we're over stop 90. taking well, A lot of people yeah. feel that that was the way Ford handled it with the, uh, the Mach-E, but even with another line, you're in excess. We should make that point. Yeah, and so yeah, 90,000, uh, you know, sold uh, Hummers that we uh, want to make sure we treat those customers well. And But we also have all these other vehicles coming online. They'll be accelerating quickly. We have a lot of people waiting for them right, right now. You're right, there's pent-up demand. But that's the acceleration that we're going to have because we're, we've got our battery cell plant running and two more on the way. We recently had the CEO of MP Materials on. Uh, it's also not just batteries. You have a soup to nuts view of what can be accomplished in America. Absolutely. And, you know, this was before IRA. We, when we lived through what we've done over, with supply chain over the last few years, specifically with semiconductors, we recognized we needed to have a more of an onshore or ally shore supply chain. We were working on that. To achieve that million-unit uh, EV target that we have, or our um, our plan for 2025, we have already secured all the battery raw materials that we need, and these are uh, binding agreements. So we're ready to go. And because we move quickly on those binding agreements, I think people are going to see we've got not only uh, the opportunity to qualify for IRA, but we also have um, the opportunity to take costs down in the not too distant future. Now you came in earlier. I mean, yeah. it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful car. Uh, are they available? Well, you know, we just have started to sell those, but next year we ramp way up, and so we'll uh, very quickly be taking more orders for the Lyric. So, yes, they'll be available shortly. Okay. Now, there's a perception that your company cannot handle the internal combustion engine and EV at the same time. One has to win, one has to lose, and there'll be great turmoil during that. That is a perception by some of the bears, and you have convinced me that that's ridiculous. I want you to convince others the same. 
Well, it is ridiculous because, uh, first of all, we have an incredibly talented team. Much of the investment we've made in our internal combustion engine business has been made. We do have new products coming out, but the core of that work was done over the last few years. So more and more, our focus is on our EVs, but we have the capability to both. And you know what? As we look at General Motors having the highest customer loyalty of any car company in this country, our loyal uh, ICE customers are going to be the ones we usher into EVs. So we are very well uh, prepared. And in addition, about 40% of the vehicles and the orders that we have for things like the Lyric and for the Hummer and for uh, the Silverado EV, 40% of them are new to GM. So Jim, think about that for a minute. 40% new to General Motors. That's why we're so confident we'll conquest and we will grow uh, from an EV perspective while still managing our strong ICE business that is funding this future. Well, I would be remiss to not talk about Bright Drop, Bright Drop versus the competition, because that to me is a natural turn. I mean, I can see that sequence from uh, customers going right to that for small business in particular. Absolutely. And we, you know, we have the, the Evo 600 here. Uh, we have the 400 that will be coming. And it's more than just having the vehicle propelled with uh, being an electric vehicle. It's also about the trace unit. We're helping people change the way they deliver, improve productivity, uh, which is going to take costs out of their business. So, uh, and Bright Drop is complete growth for us because we weren't in that business before. Okay, now, there are recession fears, obviously, right now for big purchases. And yet I am reading a headline. I'm going to just read it so everybody knows. GM raises 2022 guidance, expects North American EV portfolio to be profitable in 2025. Annual capacity tops 1 million. That seems like a gutsy number when we talk about recession. But do you, is that a recession-proof number or, or a number that says, if things just stay okay, we'll do that? Well, you know, we obviously plan for a wide range of potential scenarios, but we think even with, um, and, and we're optimistic because we're still seeing very strong pricing and we're seeing a lot of interest for our vehicles. So I can't speak to the whole uh, market for vehicles, but when I look at our strong product portfolio, both ICE and EV, we think we are very well positioned and we will deliver that. We'll have the capacity, we'll deliver that. You know, when we look at the interest in our products right now, we're, we're very confident. Now, you've mentioned several times the, let's call them breaks that the federal government gave you, but they turned out to be far more meaningful IRA than, than I thought it would happen. This, these are great incentives. Well, you know, if you think about it, it starts with, I think they're going to accomplish exactly what um, Congress wanted this to do in the administration, of really accelerate EV adoption and, and do it in a way that is going to grow American jobs. So it's good for the American economy. It's good for the American worker. And again, because we were already committed to doing much of the work and we've already vertically integrated our motors, our battery cells, we're well positioned um, as it was written. But it's going to be good for the country and it will accelerate EV adoption. All right. No, I don't want to be uh, too... Uh, emphatic about one of what we're seeing, which is great here. But my wife did indeed yes. uh, test the Hummer. Yeah. And and, uh, and there was talk about maybe even have a smaller Hummer. But this may be uh, one of the most talked about vehicles of the next 18 months. Tell me about how you brought it back and why. Well, it, you know, we have a truck franchise at General Motors. We've had truck leadership since 2020 uh, and with our, our GMC and our Chevrolet brands. And frankly, from a full-size SUV, we've had it for over 20 years. And so when we looked, we wanted to make sure people understood that when you drive an EV truck, you're not going to have to make any compromises. So when you look at the Hummer, it's got, uh, you know, complete... Um, 
flexibility, the latest technology. It's got crab walk. It's got watts to freedom. Frankly, Jim, I just think the Hummer is completely badass. I mean, I love driving it. And that black one right there, I, you know, they're going to have to keep me away from driving that one away. Well, this is the kind of dream come true for GM. I'm wondering whether we can't right now uh, break ranks with those who think it can't be done. Well, I, you know, today is, I think, a very important day for us. We have yes. an investor day later this afternoon. And if after they hear our story, they hear our capability with technology, they see the products and we're in the sweet spots of the market, the large segments. When you look at, you know, the Equinox, the Blazer, luxury, very affordable. I mean, everyone who drives a Lyric is just astounded because it's it's uh, really redefined and it's what you can do when you have a dedicated EV platform that we have with Ultium. All right, one last question. When I see, listen to the, uh, the cash flow, I do think that you're at crossroads. Do you continue to grow this franchise, which is obviously fantastic, or you do you begin to return some capital to shareholders in the form of a dividend? Well, you know, we already um, have reinstated the dividend, a modest dividend, and we also have the opportunity for share buybacks, which we announced some in the third quarter. So we're going to continue to reinvest in the future to drive, you know, solid returns. If you buy back stock here, I mean, you'll make a fool of the people who sell it. Uh, Well, again, we uh, that's ultimately a board decision of how we return cash to shareholders. But I will tell you, I think we're well positioned to do both grow our franchises while uh, appropriately making returns to our shareholders. Well, that would be extraordinary. It would convince, I think, many people how I feel, which is that you're doing a remarkable job. And this is the proof perfect. Congratulations to you. Thank Mary you. Barr, chair and CEO of General Motors. And we got to look at these cars. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you. You seek the key. But first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash businessgoldcard. As you know, I think most of the IPOs in the class of 2021 have been awful, but not all. Take Exponential Fitness. This one is up 85% from where it came public in late July of last year. This is, well, I guess I, I don't like the word roll-up, but it, they put together a bunch of niche chains, like, uh, like Pure Bar, Club, Pilates, Club Pilates, Rumble. I've got to tell you, all the ones that, that everybody I know who's really into gyms knows these as studios. Doesn't hurt that Exponential reported a great quarter last week. Uh, how'd they do it? Well, let's check in with Anthony Geisler. He's the founder and CEO of Exponential Fitness, which I am telling you may be a hidden gem here. Mr. Geisler, welcome to Mid Money. Hey, nice to be here, Jim. Thank you for having us. Well, I've got to tell you, as I, as I studied your company, I realized, what the heck? You have put together the best names 
And it looks like everybody wins, the, the franchisees, the owner of the name, and you. And I want you to just describe to people the model, because I don't think people understand it. They're looking all over for where's the exponential fitness. Right. Well, you know, it's a subscription business, right? And so we have almost 600,000 people paying an average of $130 a month. And so over 70% of our revenue is reoccurring. Right. Um, so we don't have the peaks and valleys that other people have when they're selling class packages. And so we really sell in a kind of a small, medium, large. Either you come once a month, twice a month, or you come unlimited. Now, it's also uh, well known that you've got some fabulous deals. Like, for instance, we uh, introduced the, the mirror deal on our show, Lulu. And that's one where apparently you've been a gigantic hit. Now, you make money from Lulu? Is that how it works? Yeah, we pay what, you know, our vendors will pay what's called a brand access fee. And so, you know, they will come to us like Lulu did and said, hey, we would like four of these brands to appear on the mirror product. It's great for us and it's great for them. And it really helps lower our customer acquisition costs nationally as well because we're getting our brands in front of a lot of eyeballs. All right, so uh, someone's watching and they say, you know what? I want to just go, I want to start a studio. I want to buy one of these. You don't just let anybody be a part of Exponential Fitness, right? I mean, people realize there's a rigor to which you choose people. There is. It's about 2% of our lead flow actually converts into becoming a franchisee. And, you know, everybody says they want to select the best franchisee. But it was really apparent during COVID when we had zero permanent closures and we actually opened 350 stores during COVID and still processed almost a half a billion dollars in system-wide sales. So stay strong. So let's say I want one. Uh, uh, How much does it cost? Well, we have 10 different brands, right? right? So, But in an aggregate, it's about $350,000 all in to open. They have 25 to 30% margins, two and a half year paybacks, and 40% cash returns. So now, um, economics are great. That's fantastic. Now, yeah. I also understand it doesn't necessarily have to be a giant floor. in a, it, it, you, it, These are true studios. Yeah, they're 1,500 to 2,000 square feet. So they have about a 500 square foot retail boutique that would sell Lululemon and other brands. Um, and then we have the workout space that's there, a couple of bathrooms. So it's very small and easy to manage. Well, you know, look, the stock is up a lot. I, yeah, but you know, I, I'm trying to figure out the, uh, the disconnect. I, I saw the same thing with Wingstop. I know it's a different economic group. But sometimes these things happen and people don't realize, like, you're a house of unbelievably good brands. And then until they visited one of them, they don't know the kind of power behind exponential fitness. You guys are making a tremendous amount of money. Yeah, we're, uh, we're doing quite well. You know, if you look at uh, last year, you know, our EBITDA was in the 20s. This year, it'll be in the 70s. So, you know, quite, quite a lot of resiliency. Our cohorts for 2022 are better than 21. And actually, quarter over quarter, our businesses are opening better and better this year. Well, one of the things I just love about, well, you've got the, the class pass. I think that's great. Um, but you've got this deal with the high-end uh, part of uh, Carnival Princess. Mm-hmm. Now, that would be incredibly logical. Are you allowed to go on others, or is that exclusive? <laughs> uh, you know, we'll, we'll be sticking with Princess for right now. We like that. We like the brand. We like where our brand synergies are. But sure. we'll actually be building physical studios on the boat. Um, we'll also be using our digital product in the 23,000 staterooms and then doing promotions with our X-Pass, um, all with Princess. So. And it's uh, international looks good for you. I mean, yes. this, this is a, obviously something that, that traffics. I mean, it goes, yeah, goes we're, well. We're operating in 16 countries. You know, our stores uh, you know, signed up in 16 countries, operating you know, hundreds of locations, primarily in Asia Pacific right now. Um, but expanding um, you know, around the globe. And this uh, Mover Brand Stretch Lab, understand it's doing fantastically. 
Fantastic. I mean, Stretch Lab was, you know, three locations in Los Angeles when we bought it. And today there's about 750 sold, 250 open, and one of our best performing, you know, revenue brands that we have in the portfolio. So we're now, looking uh, forward to opening more. Uh, I know that, uh, look, I like Planet Fitness, you know, you see watch yep. the show. How can you get people to subscribe for as long as you do? Those are big chunks of time and people are putting money down. Yeah, it's a, you know it's a very sticky product, right? Yeah. People are getting the workout, but they're also getting community, they're getting entertainment, they're getting instruction, and that's something that you know you just want to get in a regular gym that you get in a boutique fitness studio. Well, I want to congratulate you. A lot of people have come here from that particular period that came public, and it hasn't worked out. And it's obvious very much that Anthony Geisler, founder and CEO of Exponential Fitness (XPOF), has worked out very well. Thank you for coming to the show. Yeah. I really appreciate Thank it. Great you, job. Appreciate Great job. It. Thank you. Him going to be back here for the break. Coming up, is data defense the best way to put your investments on offense? Kramer gets the latest from Palo Alto Networks next. Kramer Fave Palo Alto Networks just reported an outstanding quarter. It's a solid top and bottom line beat. Good guidance for the current quarter. So let's go right to Nikesh Arora, the chairman and CEO of Palo Alto Networks. Find out more about the quarter of the year, Mr. Arora. Welcome back to Bad Money. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for having me back. Okay, Nikesh, you did it. I mean, a lot of companies are claiming they did this pivot. Now they're making one penny. You, what you've done is you've accelerated revenue. You've accelerated big contracts, but you are genuinely profitable. And you're unlike any other technology company I deal with. How did you quickly get to where you're making a lot of money and growing revenues even faster than before? Well, Jim, you know, we've been talking and, you know, about six months ago, we're all talking about how it's hard to hire people, how costs of hiring are going to go up, how we have to go do all these things to keep spending money. And honestly, um, we started seeing signs of our customers getting more discerning, having longer conversations about, What's going on? What are we spending money on? We realize we have to amp up the activity because we're going to see a slightly lower conversion. So we went hard into the quarter knowing we needed to maintain the pace of the activity because the things are going to get tougher. And we really put the squeeze on ensuring that we're driving more productivity and efficiency. And I know we talked last quarter and I told you I was going to merge my sassy sales force with my core team. This way I can leverage 300 more people into my core sales. So we always had plans to improve our operating margin over time, and we just decided as a management team to accelerate that. So not only are we continuing to handle this market and deliver our billings growth as we promised, we're also beginning to take a quick knife towards our cost to make sure that we are doing that in the most profitable way we can. Well, it's very clear that you are now doing what other people might want four or five companies to do. So if you yourself are challenged, as many of the companies are, and you wanted one one provider who really, even as the Department of Defense imprimatur, it's you. There, You really are now soup to nuts for everything, aren't you? Well, Jim, you know, uh, the silver lining in the current environment is that we're having more consolidation conversations because suddenly the number one priority, in addition to being secure, is can you help me do that? without me increasing costs. And you go in and there say, listen, I can replace seven vendors for you. I can get you to a better security outcome and I can do it at a lower cost. So that's kind of the magic bullet for us. Again, it's an execution question. Customers are being more careful. They are being more cautious. They are gonna take longer, which just means we gotta increase the activity and the focus that we need to have in the market and hope that our 
better execution can help us ride the macro trends that we're seeing. Okay, Nikesh, if the Defense Department felt they could get ten, needed 10 vendors, they would get 10 vendors. They pick one, they pick you. We're talking about maybe, I think, the biggest cyber contract, cybersecurity contract ever. How did you get it? Well, Jim, we've been working on it. Look, it's very important to have bleeding edge technology and solve current threats. So we've been working on this deal for a very long time. It's part of the acquisition we made called Expanse. This is a north of a $100 million deal in its entirety with all the options and the timing. And it took us a while to get it, but we've got it. And our teams are out there already executing because we know if we get this right, there's more to come from there. There's more to come around the world because every, every defense entity around the world is facing the same challenge of making sure that their entire surface area is protected. Now, I have to admit, they must be challenged every second. I mean, isn't that the most logical target of any part of our country? Well, it is. Look, as we've talked about this before, at the end of the day, you know, given the geopolitical situation we're in, you are seeing nation states get engaged in trying to look for vulnerabilities around the world. And in that context, it's very important for pretty much every government to ensure that their infrastructure is secure. And not just from a Department of Defense type of perspective, but also from every federal agency and every local agency, state and local agencies, have the least amount of money relative to the federal governments around the world. So this is going to be a continuous challenge across the board. And part of the challenge is to make sure that these people put cybersecurity at the same level of risk as any other risk that they have in their business or in their operation. It looks like the utilities have figured out that you can hold them ransom too, right? They've become good clients. You know, uh, unfortunately, the techniques that are being applied are still very rudimentary. There's still business email compromise that's happening. There's phishing attacks that are happening. And they all lead to a situation of ransomware. And my fear, as we've talked about this in the past, is that if there is not an economic settlement, there are consequences. And those consequences actually end up hurting the businesses a little bit more than just having to pay for something. (laughs) Shut down half our country if we're not careful. Now, CIDR, uh, Israeli security, what do they have that you needed? Well, Jim, uh, you know that we've been carefully building our cybersecurity capability, both by doing internal innovation at the same time, looking out of the market and acquiring talent and skills and product when we need to. And I've talked about this with you. We said, you know, the market has had very high valuations. The expectations of sellers were not in line with what we believe the true value was. But it looks like the market is coming to a place where companies are realizing they're going to have to sit down and settle for the long grind to build great businesses. And we go up to them and say, listen, you have a great insight, great product, coupled with our capabilities, our distribution, and our ability to deliver this as part of our platform. We can accelerate your future. At the same time, you can help us bridge a gap, which we think is going to be important in the cybersecurity sort of needs of the future. And uh, you know, this is the most innovative industry in the world, cybersecurity. Right. Well, because uh, every time you think you've solved it, Somebody's right. looking to attack you. Well, last question I have to ask is, you weren't shocked at all, right, about a giant hack at FTX. And you probably weren't shocked about any of the stuff that happened in the cyber world, right? I mean, everyone I'm could have used you. Everyone I'm still needs you, don't they? Well, they do, Jim. No, FTX is a whole different book. I'm pretty <laughs> sure there's going to be many books written about that. Uh, and there's a whole conversation you're having with your colleagues about crypto. But all I will say is that cybersecurity is a secular gift that is going to keep on giving. We just have to be able to continue to execute in the market and let's hope that our customers don't take the eye of the ball and don't get distracted by the macroeconomic environment to say, oh, I don't need to prioritize security because security needs to be continued to be prioritized. They should just call you. All right. How about that? Pretty simple. 
One day you told me I'd say that, and I just said it. That is Nikesh Aurora, chairman and CEO of Battle Outdoor Networks. This one's going much higher. It's not just going higher. It's going much higher. And money's back in. Coming up, Kramer wants to hear from you. Your calls on the thunderous lightning round. Next. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. It's incredible that you watch fourth quarter of a game where some team is up by 21 points. Normally you'd, 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 you'd shut it down. But no, people, people are happy to watch commercials for the NFL, so I think that they'll be happy to watch commercials with that from the start. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski day. Top of the light round. Crimson's my We start with Richard in New York. Richard. <laughs> hey, it's a pleasure and it's an honor to be on the line with Jimmy Chill. I don't drink oh, coffee. Thank you, Richard. I don't drink coffee. I listen to you. Booyah. Booyah. Anyway, I know it's been a long road. Uh, I don't know if they're having results now. There's, there's been a significant change in their business. FDMT is my stock, which I'm looking You know, it looks long. like they've got something. Now, look, I don't want to. I mean, I just view it as something that seems to be competing against Regeneron. Uh, I, I know Regeneron. One's a $22 stock and one's a 700 but Regeneron is the horse to bet on because it's been a great investment. Let's go to Artie in Florida. Artie. Hey, Jim. Uh, booyah to you. Just long time listener. Okay. I, uh, I want to know about SoFi because I've been watching, watching, watching. Good news, I have good been watching news. myself. And you know what? It does have that kind of Sherwin-Williams paint dry feel. It's been stuck here for ages. I do believe it's bottoming, but I don't know what gets it higher. Let's go to Mark in Connecticut. Mark. Uh, hi, Jim. Uh, first time caller. And I truly All right. Your uh, Thank you, buddy. Uh, I would like to first dedicate this call to my brother, Arthur. He passed away three years ago, Thanksgiving week. In 1978, we both opened a joint stock brokerage account and turned 100 shares of Winnebago stock into a seven-figure stock portfolio. Oh, that's terrific. I'm sorry to hear that. Must be tough on Thanksgiving time. But go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Thank you. So so your viewers need to know it can be done. Uh, And it's people like you that we count on. And we thank you for keeping us informed, educated, and engage the market. So here I not question. let you down. Thank you. I don't see many biotech companies with a lot of new and exciting products these days. However, I think I found one biotech company that has some incredible potential. They use artificial intelligence to develop drugs in neuroscience and immune oncology. In July, the FDA approved their first drug for acute treatment of agitation okay. associated right. with schizophrenia. The company is called Biotherapeutics. All right, I know because I, I do a lot of neuroscience work. I actually am familiar with it, but it is so speculative, sir. It is just really speculative. It, it may be home run or nothing, and that's always tough because neuroscience, almost everybody fails in what they try to do. Let's go to Joe in New York. Joe. Hey, Mr. Kramer. How are we doing there? This is AKA. I'm good, Joe. How are you? Good. This is AKA Moneybags from snowy western New York. 
Hey, I want to thank you and your staff for all you do. You guys do a fantastic job there. I have a, uh, I have a fabulous <laughs> staff. How can I help you? Uh, you know, I usually invest in quality stocks, but I was following this spec stock. It's, it's a biotech. Uh, I won't go into all the things about it. It sounded really promising, but the symbol is V-E-R-U. The test, the test for it, it's a, a something that it does with COVID, trying to save people's lives. The test result, the FDA staff didn't seem to like it. I mean, the actual group that looked at it, we have to see what the FDA says, but it was not positive. I wish it had been. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Listen to me, this is really important. Don't ever say we didn't try to warn you away from the shadiest parts of the crypto complex. For the longest time, we were deeply suspicious of the sky-high interest rates that you could get on your cash from crypto exchanges, like I was getting from BlockFi all the time. Plus, I was always shocked that so many of these coins could be created and attract money immediately. It seems surreal to me. That's why, when I got a chance to interview Gary Gensler, the SEC chairman, back in August, I had to ask him about crypto. When you're a journalist, you don't have subpoena power, but sometimes you have a chance to hold government officials accountable or at least hold their feet to the fire. So I tried it, positing what would happen if my colleague David Faber and I just wanted to create a coin, which is something that seems to happen every day. And yes, was created by the lamentable Sam Bankman-Fried. Take a listen. If you and David wanted to create a coin, I would suggest to you get good lawyers who understand the securities laws, and I hope those lawyers would advise you that because the public would be investing based on your and David's entrepreneurial efforts, and you'd probably have a website, you'd probably be marketing it in some way, that meets the test of what's called an investment contract or a security. And yes, you would need, you and David would need to register. And if there was a platform, a, a trading platform or an exchange that listed your token, the David Framer token, if I might, then that that platform, that platform listing your token needs to register as an exchange. That's the plain and simple truth of it. Congress uh, passed these laws to protect the public. It's about raising money from the public. It is also about the the trading venues, the exchanges. And we've benefited for 88 years by this regime. I think it's helped economic growth. It's protect the investing public. It's also helped issuers tap into the best capital market. So I, I do ask you if you and David start that token to get good legal advice and follow the securities laws. Okay, I know that was long. I typically don't even do this. But my takeaway here was that the crypto entities I was dealing with were either obeying the law or taking a huge risk. Investigations, huge fines, maybe prosecutions. I thought the SEC had made it clear that these crypto exchanges could get in big trouble if they weren't doing everything above board. In retrospect, maybe the fact that Gensler had to lay all this out was an ominous sign. Still, I certainly got the impression that something like FTX, the second largest crypto exchange, one that issued billions of dollars worth of digital coins, had been somehow examined by the SEC, or at least been on the radar screen maybe, to be stopped for the lack of controls, as was obvious to anyone who looked under the hood that they didn't have any. Surely they were letting these guys operate without any controls in place. Right? I mean, correct? Wrong. 
Today, we got a filing by John J. Ray. He's the new CEO installed by FTX's creditors that said just the opposite. Listen to this. Quote, never in my career have I seen a complete failure of corporate controls and such a complete absence of trustworthy financial information has occurred here, end quote. And by the way, this is coming from the guy who helped unwind Enron, and he says he's never seen anything like FTX. Ray continues, from compromised systems integrity and faulty regulatory oversight abroad to the concentration of control in the hands of a very small group of inexperienced, unsophisticated, and potentially compromised individuals, this situation is unprecedented, end quote. No, look, remember, I'm not a prosecutor. I don't have subpoena power. I'm just a journalist. But I can tell you exactly why this happened. It's because these crypto exchanges had nothing to fear from the government. It sure seems like the SEC oversight was, I hate to say this because I respect the agency tremendously, but a charade. See, they didn't need a lawyer, let alone a good lawyer. They didn't need an accountant or a CFO. They didn't need to worry about regulation because nobody was regulating any of them. I think that's a bad way to run a business, but I can live with the industries that operate like the Wild West. What I can't live with is when government officials create the impression that those industries are actually being policed. I wish Gensler had just said, quote, I have no idea what's really going on. It's all overseas. It's unregulated. They don't play by the rules. They register nothing. When you get involved with crypto, it's caveat emptor. Good luck. Because we now know that was the reality here. And so far, nothing's changed. And it could have saved people fortunes to know exactly how untamed and reckless things really can be legally in the truly unregulated crypto world. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.